Welcome back to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our journey through God's Word. On today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is taking a look at Genesis chapter 9, verses 8 through 17, as we talk about rainbow, God's promise, or man's pride. If you're looking for a church to connect with, a people to join as you serve and study, we'd invite you to come and to worship with us. We meet at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. You can find out more information by giving us a call at 479-442-4634, sending us an email at info at calvaryfayetteville.com, or just checking out our website. That's calvaryfayetteville.com. Again, on today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is talking about a bit of a difficult subject as we talk about the sin of pride. So let's listen together as we look at Genesis chapter 9. The book of Genesis chapter 9, and yes, I do realize that is a long ways from Philippians chapter 1, is it not? I have shifted gears uh, for today. I think um, there's something I just feel impressed to uh, spend some time with, and uh, it is some points that I've shared with you before, almost a year ago, but some things I believe bear uh, repeating for us and reminding uh, even today. So we will step away from Philippians for at least today, maybe another Sunday or two, we'll see. I want you to imagine, if you will, what it might have been like for Noah, for his wife, their three sons and their wives, after the cataclysmic flood that destroyed the world as they knew it. I mean, it must have been a terrifying experience inside the ark. With the collapse of the moisture canopy above the earth and the bursting forth of the great water deposits below, water coming from both directions, from the top and from the bottom, they were quickly, the earth was quickly inundated till there was no more dry ground. Imagine what it was like hearing people dying, hearing family members dying, some banging on the side of the ark. But it was too late, for God had already closed the door. Till finally the last cries, the last sounds of people died away. And there was nothing on the outside but the sound of the storm. On the inside, the sound of all those animals. Imagine being inside the ark not knowing if it would truly float and stay dry or not. Maybe it was just going to be a big wooden coffin for all of them. 
but float it did. And now the waters were receding, and they stepped out of the ark into a world changed forever, a brave new world. The land looked different, the sky looked different, the atmosphere around them was different. Now imagine, if you will, whether a week later, a month later, a year later, I don't know, the first time the sky grew dark again with heavy clouds full of moisture and it begins to rain, hard, pounding rain with lightning and thunder. As they say down in East Texas, one of those real frog stranglers. Imagine, if you will, being Noah and his family. Were they fearful? Was there a concern when the creeks began to rise that it was going to flood again? What will we do? Is the nightmare of the past going to repeat itself? But then they remember that God had made a promise. And that promise is our text today. If you have your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 9, I'll begin reading with verse 8. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. I don't know if you caught it or not, but those verses were almost a bit repetitious. I believe that was by design. God wanted there to be no mistake 
about it. He repeated several times that he was making a covenant between himself and not only Noah, not only Noah's family, but every person that would live or would ever be born after him. And not only with every person, but with every living creature. Those words were repeated several times. But the word covenant was repeated seven times. I don't know if there's a significance that seven is a number symbolizing completion and perfection. But God seven times used this word. Verse 8, I establish my covenant with you. Verse 11, I establish my covenant with you. Verse 12, the covenant that I make between me and you. Verse 13, the covenant between me and the earth. Verse 15, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you. Verse 16, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. Verse 17, the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Covenants are important. God does everything based on covenant in the Bible. The Bible itself is divided into two parts. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and the New Testament, the New Covenant. And a covenant is a bond between two parties. It's more than a contract. It represents a relationship. Sometimes the covenant requires responsibility of both parties, fulfilling their duties. At other times, like here, it is a one-way covenant. It is a promise, a solemn binding agreement that God made with Noah and mankind. It's called the Noahic Covenant. It is unconditional. It's a one-way promise. Not only for Noah, but for you and me. It is a promise that, verse 11 says, never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. Verse 15, and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. God made this promise. God made this covenant. And as a reminder of it, God has given a perpetual sign, a continuous, never-ending reminder to mankind that not only would Noah and his family, but all future generations would remember his goodness, his grace, and his mercy. What is that reminder? What is that sign that God has given? Verse 13, the Lord says, I have set my bow in the cloud. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Verse 17, God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant 
that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. This covenant was unconditional. This covenant was made to Noah and his descendants, every living creature, and it was sealed with a sign, a rainbow, a rainbow, a bow in the clouds. We never cease to be a bit surprised and a bit in awe when we see a rainbow, are we not? It's a beautiful, amazing feature of the world created by God. God is light. That's what scripture says. God is also the water of life. God has shown us that light itself to your vision and to ours is white, white light, but it actually is a combination of seven colors, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. And when white light passes through a prism or a raindrop, Suddenly, when it comes out the other side, the light is broken into this spectrum of colors that we know as a rainbow. And we see all seven colors separately. It's an amazing sight. It was just the creation of a creator God who wanted to remind us of his faithfulness, of his mercy, of his grace. It also reminds us of his creative powers and majesty and that he is worthy of our love, our devotion, and our worship. But that amazing atmospheric feature, the rainbow, God's bow in the cloud, has been seized and given a new meaning in our world today. For most people, no longer does it represent God's promise. Now it has come to represent man's pride. We are in day number four of Pride Month. Have you ever thought about just the contradiction of that whole idea? I mean, if we're going to celebrate a Pride Month, why don't we just go ahead and celebrate a Lust Month? Why don't we go ahead and celebrate a murder month? Why don't we go ahead and celebrate a month for every sin you can imagine? For you see, pride is a sin. It is not something to feel good about. It is something that will take your soul to hell. Pride Month. We're going to have this force-fed to us for not only the rest of this month, everywhere on TV. Some of you will have to deal with it in your places of business, in your work. You'll have your friends and your neighbors 
putting out their pride signs. You'll be encouraged to wear something that will symbolize the rainbow for Pride Month. That's what this has come to represent, man's pride, specifically what's called gay pride. It is now a flag flown by the LGBTQ and whatever other initials they've come up with in the last day or two, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer. It is a movement that once, at one time, not very long ago, just ask you to acknowledge it or them and don't discriminate against them. That's all they ask for is acknowledgement and no discrimination. But now it is a world and a movement that demands you're not just your acknowledgement, but it demands your acceptance and your approval, your endorsement. And if you don't give it, if you don't go with the flow, you will be labeled a hate monger, even a terrorist, if you do not give your approval. It's an amazing thing to me that the birth of our nation or a salute to our veterans, something that we celebrate every November, or remembering those who gave their lives for our freedom, something we celebrated just last week, that these days get one day on a calendar and often largely overlooked. But the gay pride agenda is celebrated for a whole month. Folks, this has not just crept in. It's not just moving slowly into secret corners and pockets of our world. It is a tsunami that is swamping over everything in sight. And I realize it's a touchy subject because it's likely that every family here has been touched personally in some way by some family member who has maybe come out of the closet and identified themselves as gay. Maybe someone who is going down the path of the whole transgender thing, if not personally, than certainly endorsing and approving and speaking in favor of. And there have been many Christians, many good, at one time, Bible-believing people, many churches, that because this subject has gotten so close to home, have chosen to shut their Bibles and set them aside and embrace this and say that God is in it. Whole denomination of, denominations of churches are being ripped apart over this question. Some here even in our own community.
Well, I want to focus for just the time we have left this morning on what I believe is the most fundamental issue and problem with Pride Month. Now, listen very closely to what I'm about to say. This whole idea of gay pride, this whole idea of, of all that is encompassed in what I believe to be an immoral and evil thing. I'm not going to focus on the sin of homosexuality, transgenderism, or any of the other specific behaviors. Make no mistake about it. All these behaviors and the agenda advocated by Pride Month are evil. They are sins that will send a person to hell. Homosexuality is a sin against God. A gay marriage is not a marriage at all in the eyes of God. There is no such thing. Transgenderism rejects God and his created order, and a person cannot embrace transgenderism and believe in the God who will save their soul. It is an impossibility because it denies the very character of who God is. All of those are deadly sins. But I want to tell you that all pride is a deadly sin. Baptist pride will send you to the same hell with the others. Pride in your own self-goodness will send you to hell quicker than anything. Any kind of pride that prevents you from humbling yourself before God, submitting your will to His, is pride that will send you to hell and to the author of all pride, that is the devil himself. You see, it's not just the behaviors of the agenda that are the problem. Certainly they are wrong and evil. But it's the attitude behind the action that is the problem. It is this thing known as pride that has, as you've heard me say before, I, me, right as the dead center letter of the word. I struggle with pride, and so do you. And here's what the Bible tells us about that. Four biblical truths about pride. Number one, pride is the first sin and it opens the door to all other sins. All sin, no matter what it is, no matter what behavior it is, ultimately can be traced back to its beginning, and that is to a heart of pride. A gateway sin, the root of all sins and sorrows. C.S. Lewis referred to it as the great sin. Listen to his words. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Augustine and Aquinas, Calvin and Luther, all these and others taught that pride was the root of all sin. Make no mistake about it. 
Pride is the great sin. It is the devil's most effective and destructive tool in our lives. It shows up on the pages of Scripture in Genesis chapter 3 where we see the devil, that proud spirit as John Donne described him, using pride as the avenue by which to seduce our first parents. Taking the form of a serpent, the devil approached approach the uh, first couple, Adam and Eve, and his approach was simple and yet deadly. He arrogantly contradicted what God had said to Eve about eating the forbidden fruit, and he charged God with lying. Listen to these words as one writer writes about that. This shocking rejection of God's word introduced Eve to the unknown possibility of unbelief and was intended to arouse doubt in her mind about the truthfulness and reliability of God. In the next breath, the devil drew her into deeper deception by contending that God's reason for lying was to keep her from enjoying all the possi possibilities inherent in being godlike. This clever ploy was aimed at undermining her confidence in the goodness and love of God and arousing the desire to become as God herself. He goes on to say this, it is on the screen. Finally, Weakened by unbelief, enticed by pride, and ensnared by self-deception, she opted for autonomy and disobeyed God's command. And if there has ever been a movement, a, a movement among thousands, millions of people in the history of the world that has been weakened by unbelief, enticed by pride, ensnared by self-deception, to the point of opting for autonomy, of wanting my will, my way, and shaking a fist in the face of God and disobeying God's command, it is the whole idea of gay pride. It is rejecting God altogether wanting my will, my way. But understand, every time you and I reject the call of God in our life, the leadership of the Spirit in our lives, the unwillingness to bend our personal wills and submit them to God, though that may not be a worldwide movement, it is a movement in my heart to do like Eve, to shake my fist in God's face and choose not to follow him. And that pride, that rebellion, opens my heart and my life to all other evils. Pride is the very heart. It is the first sin. Not only that, pride is an attitude, a sin that God hates. Now we use the word pride in ways that we don't see as being evil. I mean, how many of us, aren't we proud of our kids? Aren't we proud of our grandchildren? 
sometimes them more than the kids. Isn't that the way that works? You know, pride kind of skips a generation sometimes. <laughs> but, but sometimes we can be more proud of grandkids. All it means is we're more usually forgiving, overlooking their shortcomings than we were our own kids. Aren't you proud of certain achievements? We use that word, but it's not in the sense of how the Bible is talking about it necessarily. It means we're thankful, right? I'm thankful. I'm proud of my kids. I'm thankful for my kids. I'm thankful for my grandkids. I'm thankful for my church. I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm thankful for you. It's not me taking credit, shaking my fist in the face of God. But be careful that even thankfulness can become pride if we give ourselves the credit for it. Pride is an attitude that God hates. There is no pride as the Bible speaks of it. Somewhere around the year 600, Pope Gregory I compiled a list of sins that came to be known as the seven deadly sins. You've probably heard of that expression, though maybe none, none of us here can identify all seven of them. Perhaps somebody can. But they were sins that, according to the Pope, could not be forgiven. Pride was listed among them. Well, we know that no sin is beyond God's forgiving and saving power with exception of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That's another topic altogether. But God is willing and ready to forgive all sins, right? True? Let me know you're alive. Is that true? Okay. But the Bible does mention seven sins that God hates. We do have a list that God has given us in his inspired word. Seven sins that I hate. And, and these things, according to God, are an abomination to him. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 says, These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. You know what number one is? Some of you have this memorized. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies. Now listen. Number seven may surprise you because all of those are really bad things that we never want to, to think that we would be guilty of. Now, I realize probably we all have, have lied uh, at times, but uh, most of those things we, we really abhor and stay away from ourselves. But number seven, the Lord says, and one who sows discord among brethren. I'm going to tell you what, Baptist churches are full of those people. I've seen them all my life. Who is it that sows discord among the brethren? And as my grandpa would have said, and the cistern also. Who is it that sows discord? The gossip, 
the person who is a constant complainer, the murmurer, the one who can give that disapproving look, the one who wants to tell someone else what they saw this other brother or sister do or heard them say. Anyone who sows discord is numbered among the seven sins God hates. Well, top of the list, a proud look. God hates pride. Of all the sins and abominations manifested in the world, it's interesting that pride is the first on the list of man's evils. Point number three, pride closes your heart to God while humility opens your heart to God. Pride will close your heart against the will of God and the work of God and to God's uh, desire to work in your life while humility will open your heart to God. Pastor John R.W. Stott was an English Anglican pastor, author, and theologian. Some say he was the most influential person of all the 20th century. John Stott said, Pride is your deadly enemy, while humility is your greatest friend. Pride is your deadly enemy, humility your greatest friend. Few people realize how dangerous it is to our souls and how greatly it hinders our intimacy with God and our love for others. Why is it you struggle with your commitment to spend time with God and His Word every single day? That's hard. There are days I go by that I let it slip. Why is it that that happens? Thoughtlessness? Busy schedules? Blame it on whatever you want to. At the heart of it, the reason you struggle spending time with God every day in His Word is your pride. Because your pride convinces you that you can make it without it. A lack of humility that basically wakes up in the morning and says, I cannot make it through the demands of this day without God. What is it that causes us to think that we can watch things on TV or in the movies or read things that, that uh, have destructive influence on our lives, as Scripture would say it, say it, taking fire into your bosom. What makes you think that we can do that and it not hinder our walk with God? We think we can handle it. We think we can handle it. This is what God said to his people. He had worked in their lives in the wilderness for 40 years. And you remember the great miracles, how he delivered them through the Red Sea, how he provided water for them out of a rock 
when they were thirsty and dying of thirst, how he gave them bread every day to eat, how he gave them uh, quail meat to eat, how he provided every need for them as they had to battle their enemies and gave them victory, how he prevented their shoes from wearing out or their clothes from wearing out for 40 years. He provided for them. This is what he said as they sat on the threshold of the promised land. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I command you today. Then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Pride is your greatest enemy. It closes your heart to God. Humility before God opens your heart to him and his truth. Number four, you have the message. Pride leads to destruction. Not just to troubles, not just to problems, destruction. It's ironic that those who started what we are experiencing now, the pride events, use the term pride to describe them. They named their entire movement after a sin that Proverbs assures us is the prelude to our destruction. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before what? destruction before a fall, a haughty spirit before a fall. Just as we would be wise to avoid celebrating wrath month, you're going to celebrate that one? What, what kind of little sticker can we put on our shirts? I'm celebrating God's wrath month. It wouldn't be wise. Or a lust parade Christians should be wary of celebrating pride. After all, we know what happens next. Destruction. Destruction. I'm going to confess something about myself. You may want to go ahead and just get rid of me as your pastor. I hate all that stuff. I hate it. It makes me mad. When I hear some of the things out of the lips of people that advocate the homosexual agenda, that advocate and push for the freedom to counsel and direct your children towards transgenderism without saying anything to you first as their parents. The people that advocate the murder of the unborn and call it their choice and call it their freedom 
and then to celebrate the pride of that whole agenda, it is hard for me not to just hate all of that stuff, but hate the people that are behind it. But that's my sin, and that's my struggle. Because we're commanded to love them. We are commanded to love the very people that push against and fight against and blaspheme the very God you love and serve. We're commanded to love them. And to somehow separate that from what it is they're advocating, that is a hard path to walk. You cannot, it is sinful, just to remain silent to their blasphemy. But likewise to respond in hate, to respond in anger, is also sin. To remain silent is to reject God and the truth of His Word. That needs to be spoken. But it needs to be spoken in love and in truth. Do you remember the prayer in Philippians last week where Paul prays for the Philippians and he prays for their love to abound more and more. But to abound, how does that love abound? In knowledge and in discernment. Meaning, based on the truth of God's word, that, we, that our love grow and we show our love, but we show it according to the word of God. Not hammering them with the word of God, but seeking to live and to love and to speak the word of God lovingly to them, that perhaps may God grant them repentance of their proud spirit and their proud sin. Why? Because that pride's going to lead them to destruction. The Bible is full of examples. God is unchanged. King Saul disregarded God's command. The Spirit of God left him. He ended up committing suicide, self-destruction. David proudly numbered his army and thousands died, 70,000 to be exact, as a result of this one man's pride. Solomon proudly trusted his wealth and his wisdom, and the kingdom was lost and divided after his reign. Uzziah proudly usurped the role of the priest, and immediately his proud spirit resulted in leprosy. The apostles had an anointing for preaching and healing. Jesus had sent them out. They were shocked that even the spirits, the demons obeyed them. But they came to a place that they trusted the anointing more than God. And they experienced ministry failure. And they came back and they had to ask, why did we fail? We could go on and on. So here's the bottom line. Pride month, by the very attitude that drives it, is something God hates and will ultimately lead to destruction. 
I'm talking about the attitude driving it, not just the actions and behaviors it is known for. We could talk long and hard from the Word about the sin of homosexuality and where it goes, about the sin of immorality and what it results in, about those who shed innocent blood and abortion in other ways. We could talk about all of that. But we know those things are wrong. We know they're sinful. We know they lead to hell. What I'm saying is the sin of pride that drives those things is the same sin that you and I have to struggle with every single day. Is pride keeping you from surrendering your life to God today? Is pride keeping you from giving your life to Christ? Is pride keeping you from following the Lord in baptism? Is pride keeping you from some ministry he's calling you to? Let's call it by the other names that don't sound so evil. Self-reliance. Don't you want your kids to be self-reliant, self-confident? We talk about self-pity, self-sitterness, self-consciousness, self-doubt. But I'm going to tell you, just about every expression that begins with the word self is just an expression for pride. It's an expression of personal arrogance. The only real exception, the self that we need to be obsessed with today is what the Bible calls self-denial. Self-denial. Jesus talks about it with these words, Matthew 16. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And in doing so, forfeits his soul. Father, we're living in a sinful world and you know that far better than we know it. This tsunami of sin and immorality known as gay pride that we are being forced with every day is sin against you. But Father, so are many of our secret sins. So are many of our heart sins of pride, self-reliance. Holy Spirit, point out those things to our hearts. Convict us of those sins that close our hearts to you. Open us up to greater reliance and trust in you every single day. May we be humble people following the footsteps of Jesus. I pray in his name. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. 
We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.